morning. Um, God has blessed us with a beautiful weekend. And so I hope that your Memorial Day is going very, uh, Memorial Day weekend is going very well. Uh, as we remember uh, those that have served and those that have died to give us the freedoms that we have. And then, of course, on the Lord's Day, as, as it was mentioned um, in the announcements and in the prayer, that Jesus died that we can have that, that freedom from sin and that we have that hope that we will have in home, uh, that, that hope of heaven one day to be with Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue our study on biblical authority for worship on the Lord's Day, part 7. And, and so far in this series, uh, part 1, we looked at where we get our authority from. We get our authority only from the Word of God. We notice when Jesus was speaking in His day in Luke 20, verses 1 and 2, and it came to pass on, the, on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, Jesus, saying, Tell us by what authority doest thou these things? Or who, who is he that gave thee this authority? And of course, we've looked how Jesus answered that with a question and he said in verse 4, The baptism of John was it from heaven or of men? And so he was saying, The teaching of John, the baptism that he's doing in the wilderness, did that authority originate from God or for men? And so Jesus was establishing how you, how the, the authority that he had was the same that John had. It didn't originate from man, but it originated from heaven itself, from God the Father. In Luke 7, verse 30, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God. Well, how did they do this? Against themselves being not baptized of him, speaking of John. So rejecting the counsel of God will condemn oneself. And so all things that we do must be taught in the Word of God. And so we've done the five acts of worship, but uh, this all originates from that those uh, billboards that are out. It's Sunday on Thursday. Can you move the, 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 the worship of the Lord that we do on Sunday to uh, Thursday night or any other night of the week or any day of the week? And as we have looked... You cannot bring true Sunday worship outside the realm of Sunday. But we need to look at the plan of salvation. Before you're even uh, able to uh, give worship to God, you must already be in a right covenant relationship with God. When we studied on prayer in John chapter 9, verse... 31, when the blind man says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. That's a principle that's taught in the Bible, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth with his will, he'll be heareth. And so one must already be, uh, in order to have that access to prayer, you must already be doing the will of God. And so as sinners, we were not doing the will of God. Um, and so we would not be eligible for prayer, we would not be eligible to give God the worship that he seeks. Remember in John verse, uh, John chapter 4, verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, that's what we're talking about, the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth with the right attitude and by what he has ordained in his word 
For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And so God wants you to do the things that he is teaching in the word of God to be saved. And then he wants you to worship him as he has prescribed in his word. I'm gonna, my writing is so small, I'm going to have to look up here today. It starts with hearing the word of God. We're going to look at that phrase uh, as Ben had read for us this morning in Acts two twenty one. It says, "Whoever shall call on the word of uh, shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." We're going to teach the plan of salvation with that phrase. We're going to teach that that plan of salvation with the teachings of Christ, and then we're going to have some other scriptures in the New Testament that will uh, confirm it. In John chapter six verse forty five. Notice what Jesus told them. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And so it's going to be the word of the Lord's going to have to be taught. In Romans chapter 10, Romans 10, we may, we may just read some of Romans 10 here. We'll start with verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of, the, of faith which we preach. That would be the faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth on the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13, this is our, our same phrase that was used in Acts 2.21. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they shall not believe? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? Again, Jesus said they would be taught and learned and would come to God. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who have believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we can see that the word of God will produce our faith. <laughs> in order to have faith, in order to be able to call on the name of the Lord, first we have to have that faith. That faith is in the faith. Again, verses 13 and 14 says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it says, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And so you just can't say, I, I'm going to be saved today, Father. You're going to save me. No, you're going to have to believe something. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Now in Acts chapter 16. 
Acts 16, the Philippian jailer. We, we've talked about it before, but the denominations out of there want to go to verse 30 and say, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then this was the response of Paul and Silas. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. They want to stop right there. But Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how can they believe on whom they have not heard? You can't just say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know who he is. As Ben is as doing in the book of Acts, how you must preach Christ. So what did they do? Verse 32, and they spake on him what? The word of the Lord, the gospel. And to all that were in his house, and he took them. Now after they spoke the word of the gospel, he took them the same hour of night and washed their stripes. That was a show of repentance. And was baptized, he and all his straightway. And so we can see the, the necessity to be baptized immediately. It was the same hour of the night that they heard the word proclaimed. And we'll, we'll get to that, Lord willing, I believe, at the end of this, this study this morning. Jesus had the words of eternal life. John chapter 6. John 6. Verse 68. When Jesus said, Will y'all not leave me too? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. His teaching were lives of eternal. He was that, that, that bread that came from earth, the true bread from heaven that came from heaven to earth. In Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you that's talking to the Jews. But seeing you put it off, that put it from you, they were rejecting the counsel of God and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. They were rejecting the teachings of Christ. They didn't want to believe the words of Christ. They thought through their, their ways, their their. Uh, they're linked to Abraham that they were saved. We must believe in the Lord Jesus. We must believe that Jesus is deity or will perish. John chapter 8 verse 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So our belief is in Jesus Christ. We have to believe in King Jesus. We're talking in the study of the book of Acts about the kingdom. How that the kingdom was established on the, act, uh, in, um, on the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, and we see that being revealed in Acts chapter 2. Well, some will teach and preach that the kingdom's not here yet. But in Acts chapter 1, which is a, a vision that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, I believe verses 13 and 14 if I remember correctly, that Jesus ascended to the Father. In Daniel's vision, he said, and he was given a kingdom. And that's, that's talking about when Jesus ascended. In Acts chapter 1, 
uh, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld him, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so they watched him go up in the clouds. Well, Daniel's vision is he's coming up in the clouds. And God gave him a kingdom. Well, he is king. Notice in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, when Philip is going to Samaria, notice what he preaches to them. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You cannot preach Christ without, you can't preach salvation without preaching Christ. And so he's going to preach the king. But notice he also teaches on the kingdom. In verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning what? The kingdom of God. That would be the church, the kingdom. Jesus is king. He's Lord of lords, king of kings. But he also taught them on his authority, his law, and his doctrine, the faith. Notice, and the name of Jesus Christ. In the first our first series, we, we looked at that phrase in the name of Jesus Christ, and we notice that's by the authority of Jesus Christ. It's the doctrine of Christ. It's the law of Christ. And so anything that we do in the matters of religion in the New Testament, in the last age, the Christian dispensation, we have to do it by the authority of the law of Christ. And so he made it quite uh, aware. And so this is really a model also for us to follow when people are uh, eligible for baptism. Because notice, they were baptized both men and women. And so we can see here that you have to be of that sound mind. You have to be of the age of accountability to realize that your ways are not God's ways. And so we see here, and you'll see it, we saw it this morning in Acts chapter 5. It said men and women were, were added to the Lord. But, so he taught on Jesus, he taught his kingdom, and he taught his law. Every kingdom has a law. But, to call on the name of the Lord. Can we, can, we, can we find the passage that says that we must believe in order to be calling on the name of the Lord? That, that phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, is, is really just obedience to what we've been told to do. Romans 10, verses 13 and 14, we, we've read. We've we already read that you have, to, you have to hear the word and you have to believe. But you can't do that without a preacher. That's what verse 14 is telling us. 13 is telling us that you must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. But notice in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In order to, to call on the name of the Lord, you must believe that God had raised Christ from the dead. That's that resurrection. We see that being taught time and time again in the book of Acts. They're teaching on the resurrection. And every time they teach on it, we see the Sadducees coming out of the crevices. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. You've got to quit speaking of the resurrection. <laughs> and so we have to believe that Jesus was resurrected and that there will be another resurrection one day. Repentance. What do we, what must, uh, we must repent. Without repentance, one will perish. Luke chapter 13, that's what Jesus is going to teach on that day. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. 
I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's how important repentance is. Jesus is saying, does it matter if you believe in me? If you're not going to repent and turn of your evil ways and turn to me and walk in the light as I am the light, it doesn't matter that you believe in me. All must repent. In Acts chapter 17, verse uh, 30, it doesn't leave anyone out from repentance. Notice what Luke records. When Paul's giving that, that um, great sermon on Mars Hill to the unknown God, so that he can bring Christ and, and God our Father to these, these men of idolatry. It's, it says, and it's recorded in verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Those two phrases leads no one out. All men, that would be mankind, everywhere. Doesn't matter what, what country you live in, what nationality, you've got to repent. Repentance requires a change in life that can be seen. Acts 26, verse 20. Acts 26, verse 20. When, when Paul's uh, giving uh, his uh, retelling of his conversion, and he's telling King Agrippa, this is verse 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, that would be Christ on the road to Damascus. Verse 20, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. You just can't say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. You have to physically not do that anymore. You have to physically not think that way anymore. You must physically not say those things anymore. But what about when calling on the name of the Lord? Is that in the scriptures? Can we see that clearly, that that's calling on the name of the Lord? Well, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 21, this is the verse that Ben read for us this morning. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Peter's up there and the other apostles and they're preaching that great sermon that day, and he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. He's going to tell him he's also sitting on David's throne. In verse 30. He's king. Now when they heard this, they believed. They were pricked in their hearts and said on the men and uh, on the Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What were they asking? What shall we do so that we may call on the name of the Lord so that we can be saved? What was Peter's response? Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In order to be calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, they had to repent. What about confession? Well, Jesus said that it would be a public confession. 
He's also teaching in this verse that it is a continual confessing and professing of his name. We see that in the book of Acts. Uh, we're, we're dealing with that right now where they're being um, persecuted for teaching and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. But they don't waver. They continue to teach and preach daily in the temple and house to house. Matthew chapter 10 verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall call, confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And so that you have to confess. Well, what is that confession? We see an example in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Many times we, we go to this verse when we're given the invitation because people may say, well, do I just say, Lord, Lord? Do I ask Jesus in my heart? What, what does the Bible say? In, that, in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, will he just preached unto him Jesus. And then the eunuch said, Here is water, what does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip's response is, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going back to that, that chapter where, where it talks about calling on the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. That's where it says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've already grabbed verse 9 saying that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We were shown where you would be, you would believe. And you confess to be saved. Verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's, that's believing the law of Christ. You're believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But at that point you're not saved. Because the word unto means towards. You're believing towards righteousness. You're confessing towards salvation. The eunuch was not saved when he made that confession. That leads us to baptism. Well, baptism washes away our sins. That's what separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. God does not hear the prayers of sinners. John 9, 31. Therefore, we need to have our sins washed away. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, when Paul is again telling of his conversion, the conversion that happened in Acts chapter 9, we read it being told again in Acts 22 and verse 20, uh, at chapter 26. In 22, verse 16, Ananias says, And now I tearest thou, arise and be baptized. Don't wait. Don't wait for your salvation. Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sins. What? Calling on the name of the Lord. That just concretes what we read in Acts chapter 2. Calling on the name of the Lord when Peter said, Repent and be baptized. For what? The remission of sins. That's for forgiveness of sins. Here you're having your sins washed away. They're not no longer to your account. That old man is destroyed. That old man of sin is destroyed. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. Verses 4 through 6. I'm going to correct verse 3. 
Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. If we go into, we've repented, that's part of the plan of salvation. We are saying we're not going to live for self anymore. We're going to live for God. We're walking in that newness of life for that new creature because our sins have been washed away. Notice verse 5. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we should also be in likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, but we were buried in that water with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed in the baptism of water because our sins have been washed away, that henceforth we should not serve sin because we're walking in that newness of life. That old body of sin is cut away. It's circumcised from our body. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 11, verse 13. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That anytime you see made without hands, that means it's God's doing it. And putting off the body of sins of the flesh by what? The circumcision of Christ. So notice this is not the circumcision of Abraham. This is not the fleshly circumcision. This is a spiritual circumcision. Verse 12. <coughs> Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of what? The operation of God. What was the operation of God? It was that spiritual circumcision. Who have raised him from the dead. Well, you know that if God raised Jesus up from the dead, then you know when you go into that baptism water that that circumcision took place. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, having quickened together, well, he's talking to Gentiles. The uncircumcision, they didn't have the circumcision of Abraham. Have he quickened or made the lie together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses? And then it talks about taking out the law in verse 14, saying that you're not under the law of Moses. So again, we're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. That puts one in Christ. We already looked at that in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, when it says, Know you not that so many were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Well, let's go over to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we have we have been we have faith in Jesus Christ. That faith was believing onto righteousness, it was saving us onto righteousness, it was helping us become children of God when we were baptized into Christ. It adds one to the church and the kingdom. In John chapter 3, because they say, well, Jesus didn't talk about baptism until Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, so it's not that important. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about baptism. We'll start with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, that's master, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And so we can see the purpose of miracles in this text, that, that it was confirming that Jesus was from God. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're seeing that you're going to have to be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto them, How can a man be born when he is old? And so he's saying, How can a full-grown man be born again? Now he's going to ask the question, Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? For many of us, that may be impossible. Uh, when we're of a larger stature, or if your mother may be passed. And so he's thinking physical, but Jesus is going to bring him back to spiritual. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man, has been, be, a man be born of water and of the Spirit. That would be the teachings of the Spirit. That's what we covered in, in Lesson 1. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So once you're born of water and of the Spirit, the teachings of Christ, you enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? It's the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. On the day when they said... Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter stood up and said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, the italicized words that was added there, so there were added about 3,000 souls. We need to say, what were they added to? Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They weren't into the kingdom until they were saved. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Notice the word in here that Paul, when he's writing to the church at Colossae, who have delivered us from the power of darkness, that's sin, and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. That translation, we were added to the kingdom. When we were delivered from sin, when we obeyed the gospel of the plan of salvation that's in the word of God, we were put into the kingdom of his dear Son, that's the church of his dear Son, the church of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus said very plainly that it saves us. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. When he gave that great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he believeth not shall be damned. And so that tells us if you don't believe, baptism is not going to do any good. If you, don't, if you don't repent, baptism's not going to do any good. If you don't confess, baptism's not going to do any good. And then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. If there was any doubt, Peter, Peter lets the readers know, the like figure whereon to even baptism doth also now save us, not putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not, we're not getting in the water because our outside's dirty. But the answer of a good conscience toward God was that good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the same faith that we have in the operation of God when we went into the baptism of water because we know that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And we know it's water baptism because it says that Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Eight souls were saved by water in the day of Noah, and you can be saved by the waters today of baptism. Call on the name of the Lord. And I 
Acts chapter 2, verses 21. Call on the name of the Lord. Verse 37 and 38, we've already looked at. When, when they heard this and they were pricked in their heart, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That was the response that Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And then Paul's conversion, when Ananias says, why tarryest thou, arise now and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That one phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, is present in every plan of, our, of the Lord's salvation that we present every day. Every time that we come together, we present the same plan of salvation. It's not our plan of salvation. It's the Lord's plan of salvation. And we can back it up with Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. And these are just some of the Scriptures. There's many more out there that will confirm the way to be saved on God's terms. I say all this about salvation. This is according to their website. We believe salvation is offered freely to all who will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation is a work of God's grace whereby sinners become forgiven children of God by trusting and following Jesus. Well, there's some truth in that statement. There's no scripture there, but there's some truth there. But they say accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, so that's all you got to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, when Paul's writing to Ephesus, notice, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of what? The body. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, And have put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church and the body are one and the same. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, it's going to tell us there's only one body. There's one church. So what do you mean, Paul? Do you mean Christ died for the church? That's what he wrote. He's going to even confirm it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church. Well, how did Christ show his love for the church? He gave himself for it. In Acts chapter 20, when, he, when Paul is dealing with the elders in Ephesus, he says it's the church that the, the Lord bought with his own blood. How do we get into that body? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit, are we all baptized into one body? That would be the kingdom. That would be the church. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Coming in contact with the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 to 27, Paul says that he might, that he, that's Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, what? The church. With the washing of water by the word. That's by the teaching of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit. That's what it's talking about, the washing of the water. How do we know that we need to be baptized? It's by the word of God. That he might present it to himself. See, he's coming back one day, and he's coming back to get his bride. This is what this passage is teaching. This, the, the bride of Christ is the church of Christ. He's coming back for his bride one day, but he wants his bride to be what? Glorious. What? Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it, that it should be holy and without blemish. The church is to be pure. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they said, Paul said, get that leaven out of the church. 
Make that lump holy again. We can't have church of sin reigning in the body of Christ. But when he comes back, we will have had our sins washed away by the washing of the water and we will be found glorious without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish as long as we live faithful to him. We are to be faithful to our husband. They say, how do I join the church? Simply put, three things are required to become a member of their church. I'm going to say their church. Because you're not going to read about it in the scriptures. You follow Christ through salvation and baptism. Well, you attend our next step membership class and you sign our church covenant. At the end of this meeting, you will have a greater understanding of our ministries, not the ministries found in the Word of God, and a clear picture of who we are. How does the Bible say we are added to His church? Acts 2 47, praise God and have a favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as to say when you call in the name of the Lord and you do what he says you do he puts you in the church he translates you into his kingdom this occurred after <clears throat> baptism <clears throat> and they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls they were added to the church at which time we enter into that blood covenant with God in Matthew chapter 26 verse 28 Jesus said, when he's instituting the Lord's Supper, he says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Notice it doesn't say shed for all. It says for many. Because many will not obey the teachings of the word. In Romans chapter 10, it says, all have not obeyed the gospel, as Isaiah would say that they wouldn't. It was, already, it was already prophesied that many would reject the word of God. Well, when we go to the Old Testament, what happened in the Old Testament in Exodus 24, verse 8? And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on who? The people. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made you concerning all these words. But he also sprinkled what? The book. He sprinkled the people and he sprinkled the book. He sprinkled it with the blood because the first law wasn't without blood sacrifice and neither was the, our law. Jesus died on the cross and when we come in contact with the blood, we, we are being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then back in September, beach baptism is happening this Sunday. Come celebrate us with over 50 people are baptized, highlighting God's work in their lives, and then they tell you where to go. But notice, they, they didn't do baptism at salvation. They waited until they got a number of people so they could go out in the public and be seen. They don't baptize right away after you receive their salvation. What does the Bible show us about baptism? Acts 16, verse 33, we talked about the Philippian jailer. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. In Acts 8, verse 36, the youth Ethiopian eunuch. And they went on their way and they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, when he saw the water, he knew he wasn't saved yet. He asked the question, see here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Because it's that important for salvation. In Acts 10, verse 48, this is the conversion of Cornelius and his household. And he, that's Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That's by his authority. And then prayed they him to tarry certain days. It's immediate. 
When people believe, and so every time in the book of Acts, when you see they were added to the Lord, well, they, they obeyed this. It doesn't say the step by step, the step by step by step, but this is all the things that they had to do because God is not a respecter of person. If one person had to do it to receive their salvation, all must do it. Why? Because salvation only comes after baptism, scripturally speaking, by what is prescribed in the Word of God. And so this morning, if if there's any here that are not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we invite you to do so. You hear the word of God. You believe what you've heard. You repent of those things that are contrary to the word of God. You confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God before men, before witnesses. And then you allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins washed away so that you can be put in Christ, be added to the Lord's kingdom. Because it takes more to believe. And I meant to, I meant to add this in there. But notice this in John chapter 1. I'll, I'll briefly come, uh, show you this. And, and John records in John chapter uh, 1 verse 12. But as many as receive him. That's meaning believing that Jesus is who he said he was. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even them that believe on his name. Well again they would stop there. But notice verse 13. Which were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so in order to become a child of God, to become a, a son of God, one must be born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but by, the, but by God. It's by his teachings. That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. In Galatians 3.26 it says, For we are all the children of God by faith and baptism. Jesus said, You want to be saved? Believe and be baptized. And so this morning, if perhaps you have made the gospel of Christ, but you have strayed along the way, if you need prayer sent on your behalf, and uh, in addition to repentance on those things that you've done, if we can help you in either way, if you'll come to the front, as together we stand and sing the song of the curse.